Make your way back to a chair. It has been so good and so sweet to do this with you all for such a long time. And, um, and I am so grateful for the ways that God's presence is with us as we gather to worship and pray for each other and to seek, uh, to seek his voice in the scriptures, to seek his voice in the written word of God. And it is to the word of God that we turn once again today to remember that the gospel takes no losses. And that is something that will always be true in every situation that we find ourselves in. As we turn to the scriptures, I would like to just pray. So Lord, I just ask that once again that you would speak to me and through me, that somehow the words that I speak today would encourage us, that they would uh, help us to take a step towards you, that uh, we would grow closer to you today and commit to you more fully and to the mission that you have for us as individuals and as families and even as part of the body of Christ. Nothing can snatch us out of your hand, Lord, because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I ask that today... um, we could take heart and take hope in what is true at all times and everywhere and rejoice that you are the victor over sin, both our sin and the sin of the world and the world and the devil. God, you, you are the victorious one. And so, Lord, we welcome your presence here. We welcome your goodness as we seek your face in the scriptures one more time. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from Acts chapter 8, the first four verses. I really kind of wanted to start on part B, but maybe a little context of Saul approved of their killing him. This happens right after the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Uh, Of course, many people have died uh, for faith in the the one true God, Jesus not being least among them, but... but, uh, but Stephen was a, was a witness. He was, he was a martus. The Greek word for, for witness is martus. That's a person who has seen God do things and gives testimony about it. But you might recognize that, how that sounds a little bit like our word for martyr. And so what happened in the early church over and over and over again is the people who had seen God do things wouldn't shut up about it and they made people mad and they got killed. <laughs> and that happened to Stephen, and, and Saul approved of the people who were killing him. Saul, who later would become Paul and wrote some of the words that we will read on in this story later on. But on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
The, th- the reason I felt like God brought me to this passage is, of course, that we are facing, you know, the last Sunday that we have together as a church. And I have to say that that makes me so deeply sad. Uh, I think if you were able to listen to the family meeting or if you were at the family meeting the other night on Wednesday, that, that became very evident and it's very true. Um, and I want nothing more than for this church to ex- explode and to grow and to, to reach this community with effectiveness, but um, wanting something doesn't make it true. And, uh, you know, churches have a life cycle. Churches start and churches stop. And this is something that we see in Scripture over and over and over again. You know, the, the, there's, this, there's this pattern of churches existing and then not existing. You know, it, it, it's just the natural course of things. It's, it's the world that we live in, and it's the way that things happen. And it happened a lot in the first century. It happened a lot where there were gatherings of believers and then those believers were either forced to scatter through persecution or they, they parted ways because they couldn't get along or, or they, they, they changed and they grew. People died. People came into the community. And it's always going to be true that with any living organism, it's in a constant state of change. And we are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the community of believers in Jesus that exist in this world declaring and demonstrating his reign and his rule to the world around us. And we will always be that as long as we keep our faith in Jesus. But you know, the the book of Revelation starts out with God's words to these seven churches. You know, none of those seven churches exist anymore. Did you know that? All those people are dead. All those people are gone. Those communities, they existed for a time, and now they do not exist anymore. Uh, You know, the the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Philippi, all all these churches that these letters were written to, that we find inspiration from, that we look to as an example, that we seek God's face in, in reading this correspondence, and we we look to God, and we want to hear God's voice when we look to the Scriptures. None of those churches that those letters are written to, none of those churches are there anymore. And what's true in this passage, what's true in, in, this, in this scenario, is that, that uh, the, the Jerusalem church, the Jerusalem church that existed in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, by the beginning of chapter 8, it no longer exists anymore because it says, on that day, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That sure sounds like that church isn't really there anymore. And there might be a couple believers, but, but it changed so dramatically. There's a sort of death. There's a sort of end to that community. But here's the, here's the truth. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel in this situation. No church lasts forever but the gospel keeps advancing. There are more believers today than there have ever been. It is not true that the church globally is in decline. Far from it. Globally, the church continues to grow and continues to uh, rise and continues to expand its influence and expand the influence of Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ commands those believers, as Jesus Christ is Lord of those people throughout the world, the gospel continues to advance. And the church in America is in decline. The church uh, in America and in in Western civilizations has been been waning. But 
when you take a broad view, when you look at the whole of human history, when you look at the last 2,022 years of human history since God showed up definitively and actively in human history, the gospel has been advancing. And the time that we have spent here together enjoying that fellowship, enjoying the truth of who God is and what He has done for us is evidence of that. That whenever the church, whenever, it, whenever an individual body of believers no longer meets together, God raises up more because the gospel is true. And it's, here's, here's the hope. Here's the hope right here in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all played close attention to what he said. For With shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Wherever believers in Jesus go, and wherever they continue to faithfully proclaim the goodness of God, and faithfully demonstrate what is true about Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up, Signs and wonders happen, and God makes this thing continue to grow. Churches come and go. They rise and fall. They have a life cycle. New churches are born, and churches die. That's part of living in this world. But the church, the capital C church, that believes in the gospel, as long as we stay true to that, the gospel keeps advancing. The gospel continues to be true. The truth is, is that God is real and the gospel is true. I keep referencing this gospel. I keep ta- talking about it. You know, so many people have tried to sum up the gospel. So many people have tried to kind of boil it down. What's really essential? What do you need to know? And, and there are, we can argue about it all day. What's the best way to boil it down? What's the best way to sum it up? Here's how I would sum it up today. I would, say, I would say the gospel is this. Your life and mine, our lives are a mess. Our lives are a real mess. It doesn't look good. We're doomed. Our lives are a mess and we're going to die. That's true. That's, that's the human condition, all right? But God is amazing. And he's done all the work And he gives us a new life, a new, abundant, and everlasting life. And he invites us to join in his family. It's a free gift that you must receive. You do have to say yes to it, but God gives freely of his grace because of what he has done in and through Jesus. And that's always going to be true. Any attempt to proclaim or believe or do something other than that, you're fighting reality. You're living in a fantasy if you think something else is not, if you think something else is true. God is real and the gospel is true. And that is the good news that we have to tell today. You know, I, uh, I told a few, I told a story a few weeks ago talking about a time in my life when I was really depressed. I had a friend who 
I, I was really close to you. And, uh, you know, I just, just be honest with you guys, I'm a pretty fragile person. I know I put on a tough exterior, a tough facade, and I'm really good at, really good at s squashing my emotions down in moments of pressure when I need to perform and, like, showing up to do what needs to be done. But, uh, you know, I bleed. I bleed like anybody else. Um, and, you know, on the inside, I'm, I'm pretty fragile. You know, uh, things can hurt me. And uh, I, the, the thing that hurt me that I was talking about that kind of sent me into about a year of depression was I had a good friend die. It was one of my friends who actually was really instrumentally in leading me to Jesus. Now, we were kids. I was like 14, and he was part of this youth group, this really healthy, thriving youth group. The only reason I showed up is because they were playing stupid games where they would put shaving cream on each other's faces and try to throw cheese puffs to see how many would stick. And, and when I was 14, I was like, I'm here for it, yes. I don't, know what other, I don't know what else is going on here, but if we're doing that, that sounds amazing, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to that. Yes, I'll, I'll show up to that goofiness, because, uh, yeah, fun, whatever. Um, but I, as I came into this community of people, I noticed that it was really weird. Like, the, the people who were kind of like jerks at the school... They, uh, in this environment, like all that kind of like petty little division clickiness that's like really normal for teenagers, it was like, it was not present in this environment. And then I noticed that in this environment, then after we had kind of had that experience in this kind of Jesus church, God, I don't, I, I didn't, I told, I didn't really understand it, thing that was going on in this community, that, uh, that then, then when I would run into these people at school, it was, it was just different, you know, like the click was less, it was just undermined. There was, a, there was a sense of commonality, there was a sense of mutual respect, even if we weren't like best friends in public or whatever. And then, and, but something about that really appealed to me, and then I, I eventually kind of, I, I met with this youth leader, we went and played frisbee golf, and while we're playing frisbee golf, he's like taking me through Romans Road, right? He's like, you know you're deserving of God's wrath and you, you know, you, you need to confess your sins or, you know, like, and it just hit me. It's like, man, that's just true. I don't know why, I don't know why I just think that's true, but that is just true. And I like prayed the prayer in his Cadillac and with eight, he had an eight track player. I mean, I'm not that old. Like he had a really old car in the nineties. Okay. Like he was driving a seventies car in the nineties. I'm not that old, but, but like, I remember it very vividly, asking Jesus to come into my life, and nothing has been the same after that. It's really, <laughs> it's really messed some things up for me. <laughs> uh, but a few years later, one of these, this friend that had invited me to this youth group, we, you know, we skateboarded together and all this stuff. We were 18, about two weeks before our high school graduation, uh, he, he was in a car accident and he died on his way to school. Um, I remember the announcement. I was in choir class, and it was just like, what just happened? This is, <laughs> you know, it's kind of shocking. And um, They asked me if I would speak at his funeral and, and, and give a eulogy, and it was well attended. Um, it, was a, it was a bigger crowd than has ever been present for the life of this church. <laughs> uh, it was in the church that we were a part of. They had this big youth group and everything, and it was... Um, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was sad, you know, I was, I was mourning. The, the, the kid was in the marching band and the high school marching band, the high school marching band showed up to the 
play a, a few like hymns um, as a band as part of the funeral. He was really active in, in the marching band and stuff. And we, I'm playing in the playing my euphonium, and then I get up and kind of blabber through some things. But I was able to give a message of hope in that moment. I was able to give a message of hope because my friend, he really believed in Jesus. He really trusted Christ. And he had all kinds of problems. I found out you know, about a year later that he had really kind of fallen off the wagon on some things. And there were a few things in his life that were kind of a mess before he died. He was, he was living a little bit of a double life. And maybe that was part of the reason that he died. But uh, I was able to preach the gospel, and I was able to still have, find hope after I found out that disappointing news, because here's what's true. God saved him. God saved him by his grace. And if you, if you ask Jesus into your heart, that's enough. That's enough. He, he'll do the rest. He'll really do the rest. And he will deliver us. And that, that same gospel that I just outlined for you, you know, our, our lives are a mess. But God is amazing. He's done all the work. And he invites us to receive a new, abundant, and everlasting life and enter into his family. It's a free gift you must receive. This is the gospel I preach to that little crowd of people. And I don't know if that, that made any bit of difference to anybody's faith that day, but they at least heard what was true about God, about my friend. The passage that I preached was this one. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I was able to stand up in front of those people and say, my friend lived that. I know that if anybody believed that, he did. But I think the thing that God wants to kind of highlight to us today and just remind us of is that all of these yous here, all of these yous, we, there's no formal plural you in the English language. All those yous are y'alls. All of those yous are yous. Yous guys. All's y'alls. Youans. For it is by grace y'all have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Notice the plural. It's not because of all y'all. It's not because of what you did. All right? It's the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. For we, we are God's handiwork. Another translation might put this, we are God's craftsmanship. God is working on us. God is doing things in us and on us and through us, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The truth of God, the truth of Scripture that I feel like the Lord just wants to say to us again this morning is that God never stops working on us or through us. And I do think that we need people to do this with. I don't think that we can do this alone. I think we do need community. I think everything in Scripture points to there are no individual Christians. If somebody gets sent out alone, the gospel gets declared, and suddenly there's a community. 
most of the time they don't even go alone. Most of the time they at least take a couple people with them. You know, Paul had an entourage when he went. Paul, the guy, the guy who was just yelling, the guy who was just holding the coats for the people who stoned Stephen is the same person who wrote this letter because later on in that chapter he gets knocked off of his horse. Actually, it might be the following chapter. I don't know. But he gets knocked off his horse. He's blinded by the power of God and his life is ruined. <laughs> by the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is compelled to suffer for the gospel, to go everywhere and anywhere, and to become all things to all people so that Christ can be proclaimed, so that people can understand that Jesus is real and that the gospel is true. God never stops working on us or through us. And that is truth that I believe we need to hold near and dear to our hearts. And so, you know, I don't think God is done with this group of people. Wednesday night is going to change our lives. I really believe that. I, I really believe that over the next eight weeks, we're going to go on a journey where we meet with God. And if we really embrace the stuff that we learn, and if we do the good works that God has prepared for us to do internally and with each other, and, and, and the stuff that God is doing, even among this group of people, I don't know what will happen, but I know it will be really good. And I know that God will get the glory because God never stops working on us. I hesitated to include this last little bit, this last little portion of Scripture because it seems a bit self-aggrandizing. And, you know, this is emotional for me. I love this community. I love this church. But the truth is, none of us are getting killed. Nobody's getting shot here. Nobody's getting thrown in jail. This isn't like, this isn't the end uh, for anybody. Nobody's, nobody's facing the gallows, right? Nobody's, nobody's getting persecuted or crucified upside down or executed by a firing squad or any of the other things that many Christians have done and many Christians have experienced throughout the history of the world and throughout the history of the church. And so I don't want to, I'm not trying to touch the glory of God, or to say in some way that I'm a martyr when I read this passage. But I do think this is meaningful for us to think about for all of us. Here's that guy who was, who was, helping, who was helping kill this Christian, who was helping kill this, this witness. You know, the witness wouldn't shut up. Stephen, the witness, wouldn't shut up, and he was really sticking it to all the Pharisees. And this Pharisee named Saul, he participated in that. He totally gave his approval. And then he became one of those people that gets the rocks thrown at him. He, he dodged it a couple times, right? He shipwrecked. You can read about Paul's life some other time. But this is what he says. He's, he's kind of passing the baton. He's passing it off to his protege, to his protege Timothy, who is going to continue to lead. Hear what he has to say. These are the, these are the words of a dying man says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and instead to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers that say what their itching ears want to hear 
They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. And this isn't this isn't Paul losing his church. This is Paul about to lose his life. It's just different, right? It's not the same thing. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Here's the thing. God gets to call the shots. God gets to call the shots. And it's important for us as believers to stay with God, to stay with a community that will help us stay with God, to, to be faithful to the Word of God, and to say things that are true, to embrace what God has to say, even if nobody wants to hear it. And here's the thing. When God gets to call the shots, we might die, but we can't lose. When God gets to call the shots, we might die, but we can't lose. This church has never been about prosperity. It has never been about health and wealth. And, well, I mean, it has been about health, but not... But not guaranteeing, you know, not, not just saying, like, look, if you just, if you just believe hard enough, all the good things will happen to you. That's just not true. That's just not true. That wasn't true for anybody in the New Testament. That wasn't true for Jesus. Jesus did everything right, and they killed him. Stephen sold the truth, and he didn't back down, and they killed him. And Paul blew up the Mediterranean world by running around and telling people the truth. And they killed him. And what's likely is probably nobody in this room is going to be martyred. Probably not. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Probably not. When God calls the shots, when God gets to be in charge of our lives, we give the results to him. Our job is to be faithful and to declare and demonstrate the truth that we have seen and heard. My hope and my prayer is that whatever good thing that God did for you while you are part of this church and will continue to do while you continue to be part of the body of believers that gathers here on Wednesday nights as we work on getting emotionally healthy, that you will take this experience with you wherever you go and that you will share it with people who don't have that experience yet, with people who don't know the reason for the hope that we have. People who are dying to know that God loves them and cares about them and that he has appeared definitively and absolutely in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ isn't dead. Jesus Christ is alive and accessible and that you'll take that with you and give that away to anyone and everyone you meet through Manfred. That's my hope for you and that's what I'm going to keep doing as long as I have breath in my lungs. That's what care is going to keep doing too. It's what we're about. It's the reason this church has existed. And it's the reason why every single Christian church exists.
there are a lot of good, healthy believers. There are a lot of good, healthy bodies. Maybe not one exactly like this one, and I don't want to pretend that something real isn't being lost here. It's okay to grieve that. Godly men mourned when Stephen was put in the ground. But the truth is, is that the gospel takes no losses. The gospel takes no losses. Wherever the gospel is preached and believed and experienced, God gets his way, and that is what it is all about. If you would stand, we're going to take some.